being young female African coming to a, a country like Australia, I didn't really know anyone. I was 19 and I was coming to university with $800 in my wow. pocket. What is up, beautiful people? I am Lachlan Samuel, and this is the Open Up Podcast, the show that is making mental health mainstream. The way we do that is we interview people about the deepest, darkest, most traumatic and challenging moments and periods of their life. We go over what they went through, how they overcome it, any tips, tools and tactics that they use to do so, any lessons that they've taken away from that period in their life, and then where they're at now, how they've turned that pain into purpose. All I can say is that I'm just truly, truly grateful. And I absolutely believe that together, me and you, and the sharing of these stories, we will make mental health mainstream. Let's go. Welcome back to the Open Up Podcast, guys, and to episode 92 with Cynthia Wright, uh, entrepreneur, business lady, speaker, <laughs> founder of Regions International. The list goes on and on. <laughs> uh, Thank how you. would you describe what you do? Oh, wow. Um... That's, that's, no one has ever asked me that question before. Um, I think I'll describe it in, in one word, leading. Nice. I lead. You definitely um, are that. <laughs> <laughs> I consider myself and I see myself as a leader and not because of the many hats that I wear, um, because the work that I do is quantifiable and everything that I sort of take on, every challenge I take on or position or job, um, my role, my personal uh, role is to move that forward. So if I take on a position and it was at point A, I need to move it forward, upwards. And that's how I quantify my leadership. So that's how I see everything that I do, leading. That's amazing. And the next question was going to be, could you describe the way that you view yourself as a woman and or human? Would it be the same answer for that? I think it would. I think That's it powerful. would. Yes. Seems like you're very self-aware. <laughs> I think you have to be. Uh, we live in a very, we live in very uncertain times. And if you're not self-aware, other people will define who you are. And they'll put labels on you. And when you label someone, you dehumanize them. So for me to be self-aware, I feel I'm somehow protecting myself and my image and the people that are looking up to me. So I think it's very important to be self-aware. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one for me. I need to snip that. I need to snip that for Instagram. Oh, that's good. <laughs> um, seeing as your story starts in childhood we might as well dive straight in and you can just tell the story from there okay so growing up um, i'm from zambia so i was born in zambia uh, zambia is in southern africa it's a landlocked country and surrounded by eight borders so you can imagine we a lot of people from zambia were not very good swimmers because we don't have open <laughs> open oceans but surrounded by borders um, my child, I had a very good childhood. My parents worked really, really hard 
um, to put us in good schools and also to encourage us to study hard. Um, and coming from a third world country, a lot of um, a lot of the success is perceived or viewed as if you get a higher education and then you get a job that's success. Oh, wow. So that's how I grew up. So a lot of it was a push for good grades. You need to study, you need to read. Um, so that was my upbringing. But then there was also the aspect of religion. In my, in, in, in my family growing up, church was very important. So every Sunday, everyone would go to church. Um, and it was one way of networking and to fellowship with other people as well. Uh, fast forward to when I decided to migrate to Australia at the age of 19, after I finished my year 12, I actually took a year off before um, going into university. It was, it was hard on my parents when I made the decision to say that I wanted to study abroad. Um, and the reason why I wanted to do that was because a lot of the universities back then in my time in Zambia were struggling with closures and it was very political. Um, I just saw a better pathway for myself and I knew my parents couldn't afford to send me to school in Australia, but I pushed the boundaries and I said, I'll take a year off and I'm gonna work for it. Wow. So they allowed me to do that, so I did. So I took a year off and I basically raised some money for my tuition fees to come and study in Australia. And they supported me with whatever the difference was. And that's how my journey started. And how? I landed in Perth in 2006. <laughs> wow. <laughs> how does someone that young uh, become so driven to achieve something like that? Um, I think it was... I think I just got tired of seeing struggle around me. Uh, I grew up in a, it wasn't the most flush neighborhood. It was a struggle neighborhood where uh, a lot of the households were very dependent on salaries, waiting for that paycheck to come in for you to have a good meal or to go out. And for me, I just felt I had, there was something more for me than that. I just wanted to do better than what my parents had. And that's what they wanted for us as well, because they kept pushing us. And my mom always used to say, you need to do better than, uh, than what I'm doing. You need to be better. So um, it wasn't just about, okay, this is what my parents are telling me it was about, but what can I do to make it come true? That's so amazing. that was the decision. Um, a lot of my friends felt I was very antisocial because I wasn't, you can imagine being a teenager, um, especially in Africa, there's so many parties and boys <laughs> and, you know, uh, the so-called black love. At the time, we used to have song books and everything. Um, but for me, it was, I had to put that aside because I wanted to create something for myself. And there are certain things that I had to sacrifice. Did, did creating that for yourself and putting yourself in that sort of bubble create resistance from the friend group that you had at the time? A lot. A lot. Because there's always that perception of, oh, you think you're better than us. Yeah. And, and then there's also family members, because, um, you know, growing up in Africa, we've got a huge extended family 
people will say, who do you think you are? You think you can do this? You think you can be better than um, us or your parents? Or you think you can go abroad to study? There's always that. And you're always going to get that. It doesn't matter where you're from or where you are. Whenever you try and do something different, people will reject it at first. Yeah. Yeah, because it challenges their reality or their identity. Of course. And if living yeah. an average life mm. is their reality, they're not yes. going to want you to succeed because it means they can too mm. and they're just choosing not to. Of so yeah. how does someone so young uh, find the resilience to persevere through that? Good question. Um, change when you want to see change and you want to make change within yourself, the voice inside your head that tells you, go for it. For me, that was the little resilience that I had at the time. And I really didn't understand what was going on in my head or in my heart. All I knew was, I wanna go and make something for myself. Um, there was a lot of doubt, but there was that little voice that kept telling me, go for it. What's the worst thing that can happen? And I think the beautiful thing about that is that your parents are pushing you in that direction as well. Yes. I don't think you would have, you would have been able to make that jump, that mm. leap, my, if my you had mom, parents that limited you. Yes, my mom was always a huge believer. I remember my dad um, at first rejected the idea um, he rejected it until the, the day before I left Zambia. But my mom, she's, she's always been my pillar. <laughs> she believed in me. She did. Yeah. Hey, guys. Just uh, want to take a quick second to give you a word from our sponsors. Hopefully, I'm wearing the same clothes I was back in that interview. But don't worry about it. Uh, we've got three amazing sponsors. We've got Made It Nutrition. That is plant-based supplements. Uh, they're all about the holistic lifestyle. They're all about the mind, body, and spirit. And they're doing that through their high-intensity bodyweight workouts as well as those plant-based supplements. Number two is CrossFit Long Haul. Uh, the Good Times Gym out in Maddington. Now what they do is they offer personal training. They obviously offer CrossFit group training um, and they will tailor your nutrition plan to help you achieve your goals. And the reason that I've partnered with CrossFit Long Haul out there in Maddington is because I'm a friend of the owner. I know her and she's all about that holistic approach as well, combining and intertwining the physical and the mental. So you'll be in good hands there. CrossFit Long Haul out of Maddington. Number three is Toby Pranti. He is purse first home by expert. Now, the reason that I partnered with him, doesn't sound like it's a good mix with a mental health podcast, but the reason that we have partnered is because he has been through his own mental health journey. He has played the support role to someone suffering with mental health for the last seven years. And what he's doing and what, and the direction that he's taking with his business is not only is he helping people buy their first home, but he's helping people get the best deals possible. And we know that's super important because through the statistics that have come out, we know that 
financial stress is one of the main contributors to male suicide. So he's very much on that bandwagon. He's very much about mental health and incorporating mental health into that first home buying process. Ciao. Yeah. Um, we spoke a little bit beforehand about you uh, in this migration process. Mm. Uh, if you didn't feel enough in Zambia, then you know what were you in for when you moved from Zambia to Australia and Perth, especially mm. so isolated. What what was that feeling while you're in Zambia? That feeling of not being enough, and where did that come from? I think it came from what people told me. Um, but also what I told myself because I allowed myself to listen to some of those voices and also seeing the struggle around me and thinking, oh, but I don't think I can make it. I don't think I can do it. There's always, it's the doubt. I think it's the doubt, but I think most of it was the fear as well. Um, I just, I don't know how to put it. Um, I just didn't feel enough. I just didn't feel that I was, um, first of all, uh, courageous enough or um, knowledgeable enough to make it happen. And also being young, female, African, coming to a, a country like Australia, I didn't really know anyone. I was 19 and I was coming to university with $800 in my wow. pocket. So there was a lot of that. There was a lot of um, fear. I think a lot of it was fear. The fear of I'm going to fail. And when I fail and go back home, all those people who said, who do you think you are? You think you're going to make it. They is, they're going to look at me and say, this is what we were talking about. So I had the fear of failure. And wow. that's what was pushing me down to feel like I wasn't enough. But in saying that, I think it was also a little bit of a catalyst for me to say, I need to prove those people wrong. So that little bit of resilience, it was sort of like working against each other. That's awesome. Walk yeah. me through getting to Australia and then what happens from there? Because I can't imagine um, like the polarity between yeah. Zambia and Perth, Australia. I come from yeah. uh, Auckland, New Zealand to Perth. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> Auckland is beautiful. Yeah, quite, <laughs> quite similar. Just Perth's a lot warmer. Yes, yes. So yes. walk me through what it was like yeah. for you. Um, it was a huge culture shock, but there was a lot of excitement as well. Um, I had never been on a plane before. Um, and coming from a country like Zambia, we were colonized by the British. And part of the colonization process was um, a lot of which now people that are writing books about the process, they call it brainwash, was that the Western way was always the better way. So I grew up knowing that. So coming to Perth, uh, for me in my mind, I'm thinking everything is better where I'm going. Everything is so much, <laughs> even the bread that they eat, the water they drink, everything is so, so, so much better than where I'm coming from. So that was a perception because growing up, that's what we saw. Um, and it was very rare to see a lot of um, uh, white folks in my neighborhood. I mean, we didn't even have any. So it was a huge culture shock. And because we had always put um, 
the Western world here and ourselves here. Coming to Perth was always, for me, how am I going to measure up to here? Yeah. How am I going to climb up to here so that I can actually have a voice and be someone and be included? So how does someone with that perception of the Western world and the people that live in the Western world mm. go about allowing themselves to achieve or stemming self-sabotage? The voice in your head. What do you mean by that? Because um, when you talk about self-sabotage, self, uh, I'll give an example of myself. Because yep. for me, the and this is what we spoke about before, the voices in my head were always... When I walk in a row, I'll give you an example of the first time I went to university, uh, walking into a lecture theater. First day, here's a black girl from Zambia, 19. <laughs> and first day on a campus, Perth campus. Um, walked in a lecture theater, lecturer in front, lecture theater full, because I studied nursing, so the lecture theater was full. Uh, of students from um, the shock in my mind, in my head or, and my face and my eyes, everything was, there was a lot of people from all over the world. But in my head, I was always thinking, oh, there's a lot of white people in this room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm the black person. Um, so the voices in my head was, I'm not good enough because I'm black. And when I open up my mouth and speak, there's an accent they might not even understand me. Or when they speak, I might not even understand them because they speak so fast. Yeah. So there was a lot of that. A lot of it was perception. So until I started allowing myself to open my mind and experience the, the process and believing in the process, that's when things started making a little bit of sense and becoming comfortable. How did you get to that point where you allow yourself to experience? I didn't have a choice. <laughs> I really didn't have a choice because um, for me to make everything work, and this is adult, this is adult learning. At university, they don't, even, they, they don't care whether you've come for a lecture or not. It's not like high school. They don't even, they don't even have a register to say, is Cynthia here? So a lot of it was, if I'm going to make it work, I have to allow myself to learn how things work here. Yeah. So it was a lot of self-talk, self-talk. And I think what helped the most was because I did not have friends mm -hmm. here that knew me from my childhood or extended family that knew me from my childhood, I did not have those external voices that would have maybe talked me out of what I wanted to do. A lot of it was just me, myself, and I. <laughs> so I think that helped as well. The isolation yeah. at first, I think it helped. At that point, did you know who you were, what sort of person you were? I knew that I was a serif. 
consider. That's a good thing to know. But Just, I didn't know that I was a go-getter as much <laughs> as I am now. Yeah, and knowing you now, <laughs> it's hard for me to think of you <laughs> as anything besides yeah. a go-getter. Mm. So how do you go from that, that student who's, I guess, full of that fear but persevering through it to make something of yourself to, I guess, understanding that you are this go-getter and allowing yourself to put yourself in a position to achieve like you're achieving now? I think a lot of it was self-love as well. Allowing to, to love myself as I am um, and allowing to accept my differences and my authenticity and use that to my advantage. That's amazing. How did you go about that? Because I think that's an underlying... I guess, issue or limiting mm. belief for most people all over the world mm. is that they don't love themselves and therefore they will self-sabotage, they will attract the wrong people mm. um, and they'll just limit the way that they live their life. So how did you go about that? Um, I think for me a lot of it was through telling my story, my narrative, telling it as it was. A lot of the times when... <laughs> When you meet new people, uh, you obviously want to um, allow yourself to, to meet them and to learn about them. But there's so many people who withhold back and will not open up and tell their story, but they will listen to other people's story. Yeah. And I think the most important thing that you can do for yourself is to hold your story to authenticity and honor. So I allowed myself to tell my story. I would meet new people and I would, and I would ask them, where are you from? Why are you here? Why are you studying in Australia? Oh, for me, I'm from A, B, C, D. And every time I would tell my story, it, it got better and better and better. And I started feeling even more comfortable about my journey. And that's what I keep saying to um, the three-day conference that we've had. Um, a lot of the talk was about narrative about controlling our narrative because if you don't someone else will control it for you yeah. so i think for me even even today a lot of the we with all the the different projects that i um sort of um find myself involved in or the new networks that i make those relationships and the partnerships what holds it what glues it together is the stories that we share as human beings. That's powerful. And that's the reason why I'm sitting here. It's because you and I, we've got a story to share. <laughs> I love yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for you, yeah. being that student, I guess, navigating um, this culture, this ecosystem, and then telling your story, and like you said, being authentic, was it a chance... Was it like a second chance, like a chance at freedom and freedom to be authentically you? Yes. Okay. And that's just... Huge freedom. That's just based on like the assumptions because of being like at the um, mm. various events that you put on for the African community and yes. knowing like the limitations that the culture and the community put on you. Mm. It was. 
it was a second chance for freedom. The thing is, um, with a lot of people from, from my origin, we feel, we grow up feeling free because of the religion. Okay. That is, I don't want to use the word imposed, but you sort of are born into it. Yeah. And, and I think this is very common in America, in the African-American community as well. Uh, on Sunday, between 9 and 11, is the most segregated hour because everyone is in church. And a lot of people say they feel free when they go to church. But when they are back in the office on Monday, they're still fa facing the same issues that they were facing last week. So how do you give yourself personal freedom that is not related to anything else but yourself? So my answer to that, and that's what I keep pushing for in all my events that I hold, is you need to tell your, what's your story? You need to tell your story. Because if you can't even tell someone your story, the question I'll be asking is, who are you? Don't tell me your name. I want to know who you are. <laughs> it's powerful. Yeah. And um, just touching on that religion and people feeling free during those hours and then going back to work and facing mm. the same problems, I feel in a way that faith sometimes can be used as escapism to yes. like relinquish responsibility, like mm -hmm. uh, there's someone out there giving all of this reason and purpose, but there's no reason and purpose until mm. you find the lesson in everything that happens. Exactly. And you use your willpower to do that. Yeah. So mm. getting to that point where you're, you're now putting on these various events, you're now mm. within all these different ecosystems. Yes. How has that been for you mm -hmm. as someone who wasn't expected to achieve or break those boundaries coming from Zambia? It's been, when I do ref, reflect, it's been fulfilling. It's very fulfilling. And, but it's also a reflection that I now use to mentor people with and encourage people to say, it doesn't matter where you come from. You can achieve whatever you want to achieve if you allow yourself to achieve it. <laughs> You're That's... so succinct, so concise <laughs> with everything. I love it. One thing yeah. we do need to touch on is yes. how busy you are mm -hmm. and um, how much you actually have on your plate. Mm. Because you are a mom. Yes. You've got kids mm -hmm. and you have these various one kid, oh, <laughs> one kid. and you have these yes. various businesses that you're either running or a part of mm -hmm. partnered with how do you manage that because for a lot of people from the outside looking in that that would make them anxious just looking at it oh yeah it does it makes them anxious it makes it makes uh some of my family members anxious as well um And the way I look at it is, a lot of it is juggling. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, you know, you, you're juggling, you, you juggle. 
and we have 24 hours in a day. 24 hours in a day. So my question to people that feel anxious when they look at what I do is, how are they spending their 24 hours? I plan everything to the last minute. If I know I've got something coming up or I'm doing A, B, C, D, I utilize my 24 hours like no man's business, including my gym. I have to put it in there as well. Um, there's so much distraction in the world today. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who said to me, oh, I hate these weekly reports of screen time, Cynthia, because every, every week I get this report which says, I spend so many hours on screen time. Oh, well. And, and, I, and, and I said to her, I said, okay, so what are you going to do about it? So it's the same thing with me. Um, I juggle everything. But the secret to juggling everything is not to, to do the same thing twice. And also, what helps me manage what I manage is the people that I work with, the, co the partners that I have, making sure that they are competent enough for us to move things forward. So it's not just about having a hundred things to do and every day you're doing a hundred things. No, it's about today, what are we focusing on? Tomorrow, what are we doing the next day so that we can balance life, so that I can have enough time for my daughter. Uh, my husband works away, so he's a 5'4". Well. So, so that helps a lot, actually, I must say. I used to hate it when we used to date, but now I'm like, oh, this is good. So it's just <laughs> me and Zoe. Um, so it helps a lot and we balance it like that. And the most important thing is communication and respecting what each, respecting of each other's jobs, respecting yep. of what you do, but making sure that that work doesn't come into the space of your home life, if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Well. And if it does, you have to make sure that you're honorable enough to make up for it. Because it will happen. Yeah, We're and human. I, th I think that, especially for someone in your position, mm. that's not something I'm used to hearing, is that, I guess, distinction between home life and work life, because a lot mm. of people, uh, this is what I grew up with with my dad, always mm. bring his work home. Mm. And that's what people who are, most people who are high-functioning, mm. uh, elite performers do, is they bring everything home. Everything home. Mm. How have you gone about that? Was that a process for you, or was that easy? Um, work will always be there, but what I try to do is I, I sacrifice some of my sleep, I, and I'm very honest about that. Um, I use the analogy of you don't want to, to spend so much time sleeping as if you are competing with the dead, and, and you expect to make it in the world of the living. So I'm not one to sleep nine hours a day. I will spend time with my family, we'll have dinner, we'll go to bed, and 4 a.m. I'm up. I'm working before they wake up. Well. So I will always try and sneak in some work before anyone wakes up in my house. And sometimes they don't even know that I did work. But that comes from having the passion for what you're doing. Yeah. Because you need to be able to to look at your life and see what can I sacrifice 
to achieve something without having to throw what's important in hot water. I love that. Before we, I need to touch on passion with you, but before yes, we touch on that, you, you spoke about juggling in this friend who has the screen time mm. and you're asking them what they're going to do about it. Yeah. More than likely someone who does that, who isn't happy with the amount of screen time they have, mm -hmm. would judge themselves and then that would become self-hate, self-loathing, and then it would become self-sabotage. Mm. Being someone who is juggling so much, I'm, I can only assume that you don't get every task done that you set out to get done. No. How do you, how do you work through that? Because I'm assuming you don't judge yourself. No. You can't afford to judge yourself. Um, and this is what I touched on earlier to say the secret is to do something, but not to do the same thing twice. So you have to make sure that if I say, for example, I'm going to do um, an article today. I'm going to write an article about leadership. I'm going to do A, B, C, D. Do it to the best of your ability in that space of time that you have. Don't do half of it and then go on Facebook and then do A, B, C, D, and then go back and then do A, B, C, D. Because that means you're not going to finish it. And then, t and then tomorrow you're going back to do the same thing. So that goes back to planning as well, how, do you, how you plan your time. How do you hold yourself accountable to that? Because people will listen to that and they'll say, yeah, that's all well and good, but, <laughs> but I can't stay off my phone. Yeah. <laughs> that's not a good enough reason I, I can't know. stay off my phone. If, if, you're, if you're staying on your phone, I hope you're making money. <laughs> that's why you can't stay off your phone. Um, I have people who also hold me accountable. So, for example, with the, with the various things that I do, projects, we've have, we have deadlines. Um, and for me, it's about the excellence that I want to bring into everything that I touch. And I think that's what holds me 100% accountable. Because if I'm going to do something, I want to deliver it with excellence. So I can't afford to slack off because it's going to injure my excellence and then it will be a reflection on how I work and how I do my work. Where does that come from? Excellence. Yeah, that drive to uphold this reputation of excellence. It's part of my narrative. It's part of my story. It's part of who I am. So, um, and when I tell my story and I'm sharing my story, I'm always saying to people um, that, I, that I'm speaking to, how I honor excellence. And people are going to honor you that way. They're going to respect what you do. And you are going to attract the right networks. So that is what's holding me accountable all the time is I need to deliver. If I'm going to, for example, with the conference gone, I was curating most of it. Um, so when I would work on the program and the content for it, it was... It has to be excellent. How can I give the audience excellence? That's awesome. Mm. And going back to passion, mm -hmm. how, how did you go about finding something that you were passionate enough about to wake up so early to sacrifice sleep for? Because for a lot of people, yeah. they would listen to sacrifice sleep and mm. just turn this straight off. <laughs> 
as long as they're, you know, as long as they're getting enough sleep. That's what's important. Get enough sleep so that you don't, you're not a zombie. You can still function. That's what's important. Um, passion. Wow. I've always been asked this question by a lot of people who say, oh, but I don't know how to find my passion or I don't know what I'm passionate about. Um, the way I went about finding my passion was looking at why I was doing what I was doing, who I was doing it for, and what the people that I was doing it for was gaining from it and how it made me feel to watch those people gain something from it. That's how I discovered what my passion was, which was using my voice to empower and lift people. That's amazing. So pretty much you found your passion in providing value to people. Yes. And doing so by being excellent. Exactly. Fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. So going back to the feeling of not being enough, mm -hmm. how does someone begin to change their narrative? Um, Self-acceptance and looking into your past. Looking into your past so that you can remove all the negative thoughts and feelings that you've had about yourself so that you can streamline your future. It's very important. Very, very important. That's amazing. Um, let's go on to environment. We touched on this a little bit mm -hmm. beforehand, mm -hmm. and I think it's very important. Um, could you explain uh, how you've gone about implementing this into your life to improve the quality of it? Um, that analogy I spoke about, um, eating, when you're eating fish, eat the flesh and throw away the bones. The company you keep is very important. Whenever you want to improve your life um, and just improve your self-perception. It's about, yes, the voices in your head, but also the voices around you. So, and, and I've always said this to, um, to a few people that I've been privileged to mentor, um, is that when you decide to do obviously something different, people will reject it at first. But also the road to success is very lonely because not everyone is going to understand your vision and your passion. Only you know what that is. And... When people don't understand what you're trying to do, some, sometimes they won't support it, not because they don't like you, but because they just don't understand what's driving you and why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. So saving your networks, your friendships, relationships, sometimes family, is necessary for you to achieve something, to achieve your goal. Yeah, I believe that. And... Do you feel you would be this person if you had stayed in Zambia? Wow. No, I don't think so. I don't think I don't think so. Um and if you and if you ask me 
what would you have been? I don't know. But I don't think so. I think for me, uh, what has really helped my journey is some of the networks that I've met here. Um, some of the mentorship that I've received from, from people that I have met in university, uh, but also in my workplace. I was very privileged to, um, to start working in aged care when I first came to Australia. And that intergenerational uh, therapy between the clients that I looked after and myself was very important. The stories that they told me, it was very important for my self-reflection. Some of them saw something that I never even saw in myself. And those are people that, I, that did not know me from childhood. So some of those networks, some of those connections, I think they have played a huge role in my life. That's cool. Mm. That's awesome. How have you, or how do you go about sieving the flesh from the bones? Because mm. for a lot of people, that's where everything goes wrong. They're mm. not quite sure how to do it yeah. um, and how to do so respectfully. Mm. And so they burn bridges along the way. Don't burn your bridges because you never know. Life is too short. I always say, don't, don't, don't stop throwing rocks because life is too short. Um, there's, no, there, there's no point really of being disrespectful about um, ending friendships with people. I think honesty is the best way to go about it. They say the truth will always set you free. And I think that that's from the, that's from the good book. Uh, it says that. And it's right. A lot of people don't like the truth. But I think if you told someone the truth to say, uh, I can't hang out with you anymore because of A, B, C, D. Yes, they might get angry and they'll resent you for it. But once they see the reason why you've said you can't hang out with them because you want to achieve something, first of all, go, make sure you go and achieve that. Once they see you up there achieving that, they will understand one day. But if your need to be accepted becomes more important than your need to succeed, then you have no business being in the classroom with people who want to succeed. <laughs> Powerful. Yeah, so you have to make the choice. You keep dropping quotes. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I'm, I'm trying to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like that. Yeah, I'm halfway there. So you're a busy lady. You've got a lot, a lot of events that you're mm -hmm. looking to juggle, that you are juggling. Yeah. What's coming up for you? Oh, wow. Um, I've got a, so we, we've started Africa Week, Africa Australia Week. Um, so there's a lot of conferences and forums uh, that are happening and that I'm involved in. Uh, but I think the big one for me this year is uh, going to Joburg. I'm going to Johannesburg wow. next month. I'll be speaking on a global stage at the Women Wave of Change um, International Conference. And that's huge. It's going to be a room full of women from all over the world. And I'll be sharing um, on uh, corporate social responsibility. I'll be talking about purpose and also intergenerational uh, relationships. So I'm really looking forward to that. I think for me this year, that has been my highlight. 
Um, and I also have a few uh, magazine articles um, that um, I'm going to feature on in the next few months, um, where I'll be telling a little bit about my leadership story. So I think, yeah, that would just add up to it. That's amazing. Yes. And what are you doing with uh, TEDx Perth? TEDx, yes, TEDx Perth. So next weekend on the 7th, that's our flagship. You should be there. That's our flagship event. Um, and we're expecting 1,800 people. Wow. Yes, yes. It's going to be huge. It's always big. I think last year was 1,600. This year will be 1,800. Is that and the biggest TEDx in Australia? Uh, in per in WA, okay. I think the biggest in Australia is Sydney, TEDx Sydney. It's huge. They always have international speakers that they fly in. It's massive. It's very commercialized as well. Well, yeah. that's you got a lot on your mm. plate. But I, 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 I love the TEDx uh, organization because it's a massive team, and that brings back to um, when we talk about um, networks collaboration and partnerships, the way the organization works, we have competent people on the team where decisions are made like that, things are happening like that because people are so passionate about what they do. So in my, my area um, of TEDxPath is partnerships. So I'm one of the partnerships managers there. Um, but it's, it's from production to volunteers, just the whole operation is, is wow. That's amazing. It's wow. How does someone with so many different opportunities mm -hmm. allow themselves to appreciate their effort or acknowledge their effort to put themselves in that position? Wow. How? Because it would be very easy to mm. stay humble. Yeah. Um, and I've heard this from some of the people that you sent my way through your mm -hmm. uh, African events yeah. is that that same thing, the people trying to bring them down. And so they remain humble about mm. what it is that they're achieving, even though they're achieving mm. more than they ever hoped for. Mm. I think there's a difference between, um, the, it's a thin line between staying humble and feeling the need to be endorsed by those people. Well. And for me, I, I feel I have passed that stage where I don't need their endorsement. I don't need um, anyone's endorsement in terms of people that feel like, oh, you know, she needs to remain humble or the naysayers, if you like. Um, because if you, if you start living your life that way, the day that they won't endorse you is going to injure your ego. And you're going to feel like, I'm not doing enough. I need to do more. And maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. It might take you off your path. So the right people will endorse you with the work that you're doing. But most importantly, endorse yourself. Give yourself credit. It's very important. You, you're the only person who knows how much work you're putting in. You're the only person who's working behind the scenes. That photo on social media, that photo on LinkedIn, on Facebook, that's just the top, the cream on, at the top. That's the finish. That's the finish image. I'm waking up 4 a.m. They don't see that. So it's very important for you to endorse yourself. 
and give yourself enough credit so that you can continue moving forward and making change and creating waves to impact other people. And that's important because I can, I know a lot of people who work really, really hard mm. who don't acknowledge the effort that they put in because they are waiting from endorsement for that external validation to mm. prove that they're enough. Yes. And so it's beautiful to hear that you endorse yourself, knowing that you get up that early, that mm. you're juggling this mm. many events, getting these opportunities. Mm. And I'm just assuming that you know you deserve it. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> if you work hard, it's, it's, it's the same thing with um, you know people that say, oh, I, I want to lose weight, I'm going to go to the gym. Um, you're doing something about it. You're going to the gym, you're working your ass off in the gym. Uh, you're sweating it out. You are eating right. You need to give yourself enough credit. But if you say, oh, I'm going to wait for people to say, oh, wow, you've done well. That's when I'll feel satisfied. Sometimes they might not just say that. And the reason why they might not say that is because they feel jealous. There's the element of jealousy. We can't sugarcoat it. There's, all, there's always going to be an element of jealousy from people. So you can't wait for people to validate, like you said, to validate your feelings or to validate your success without you validating your success first. But if they do, be humble and say thank you. It's important. That's amazing. Mm. Couple questions and then yes. we'll wrap up. Knowing everything that you've been through, not feeling mm. enough in Zambia, then the migration mm. and figuring that whole process out, going through that patch and then now being the position you are in now, mm -hmm. what would you say the quality of your life is like now? It's relevant. I've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> it's relevant. And the reason why it's relevant is because I know who I am, I understand who I am, and um, I know what my purpose is. I feel so empowered. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why we are friends. <laughs> to empower each other. <laughs> uh, yes. What have you added to your life or removed from it to improve the quality of it? Self-doubt. And then I've added um, self-love. Nice. Mm. That's awesome. What are you most grateful for right now? Um, for my life my family, uh, my friends, the friends that I have that understand me for who I am. Yeah. Um, and just the ability to, to understand my purpose because that's what drives everything that I do. That's I'm powerful. grateful for that, yeah. <laughs> Last question, if yes. you had the chance to put a message on a billboard somewhere where you know thousands of people would see it every wow. day, what would that message be? Oh, wow. Mm, what would it be? Um, it would be, and I think I put this on social media today, um, it would be hold your story or narrative with authenticity and honour. I think that's what it would be. Hold it with authenticity and honour. That's so important. It is very, it's everything. <laughs> everything we have to be we have to learn to be authentic in everything that we do absolutely stops you from wearing masks stop you from feeling like a fraud yes 
and then acting out of alignment. Mm -hmm. Just means that you don't have to keep changing your story. <laughs> <laughs> when you're authentic, it's who you are. And people fall in love with who you are. These days, everything is about authenticity. I mean, that's why, you know, there's um, organic food and <laughs> eco-friendly clothing and all that stuff. Let's just be real. Make it easy for everyone. Mm. That's amazing. Well, to wrap up, I want to yes. acknowledge you, knowing you, knowing <laughs> what you do, the impact you're having, yes. but knowing where mm -hmm. you've come from, someone who wasn't supposed to achieve in Zambia, mm. making the move to Australia, persevering through that fear, and now making the impact that you're making, having these mm. opportunities like going to Joburg. I'm grateful to have you in my life, but I'm grateful oh, to you. share you mm. with the people that watch and listen to this. Thank you. Thank you. And a message um, to the people in Zambia. I'm actually, so from Jobek, I'll be going into Zambia. Wow. Yes, I'm really looking forward and I'll be doing uh, a few interviews and speaking um, and also to, to do some, because I do some philanthropy work in Zambia with um, hospitals and aged care uh, facilities there. So um, I'm always going to be grateful to be Zambian. So I'm Australian Zambian. And I hold that with honor. Um, there, there comes a time in life where it stops being about you and about the people that you represent. So I believe that everything that I've achieved and that I will achieve and I'm working on is Hold that with honor. Yes. <laughs> I feel fired up. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. I like it. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. This is awesome. You're doing so well. Thank you. I'm proud of you. Now, before I let you go, you beautiful, beautiful human, I just want to say I hope that you liked that episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. And if you did, please make sure that you share it with your friends, your family, anyone that you think or feel benefit from listening to the story of vulnerability, the story of courage, the story of overcoming struggle. Now if you haven't already, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're on Instagram, you already know that you sleep in my fridge, inside joke. And please, if you can, subscribe to us on YouTube or give us that five-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever podcast, platform or app that you use. It'll go a long, long way to helping us make mental health mainstream and getting these stories, these stories of courage into the mainstream. Thank you all guys. Ciao.